welcome to Everyday Holiness, a Faith Indie podcast brought to you by the Notre Dame Alumni Association. This is again Dan Allen, Spirituality Program Director here at the Alumni Association. And my guest this week is Cindy Sesclifer, a 1985 graduate and Notre Dame parent, taking part in an exciting new program here at the university that we'll talk about later. But Cindy, we're just glad to have you here on the podcast. Thanks, Dan. Hello. Let's begin as we normally do, by having you tell us about your background and your family, where you came from. Oh, sure. I am the mother of four children, and they were raised primarily in St. Louis, Missouri. They're all grown up now. It's kind of wild. My <laughs> youngest one is 21. She's uh, she's a senior here at Notre Dame. And the other four are, are doing well also. And, and at one point, I had one child in each of the time zones of the United States, okay. <laughs> but my California son moved to New York, so um, so they're all spread out. My son's in New York. I have a daughter in Colorado Springs and another daughter in St. Louis working at med school, and then uh, and then the youngest is here on campus. Makes the Sunday evening conversations a little tricky. It, what it time, does, what time zone are we in here? Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Always had to check the phone. That's right. And then where did you grow up? I'm a Midwest girl. I grew up in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan. My first job was in Indiana after graduation, and then on to St. Louis. So, And as you think about your upbringing, were there some examples of faith or holiness that you really held on to as you grew into adulthood? Oh, absolutely. I was born and raised Catholic, so I'm a cradle Catholic, but didn't really think a whole lot about my faith. It was just part of part of growing up. It was, you know, we received the sacraments at night. Um, there are four kids in my family, too. Mm-hmm. And at night, my mom and dad would come and sit at the end of the bed and hear our prayers. But I especially remember a reverence that my father showed during Mass. There's one part where we say, Lord, I am not worthy. Mm-hmm. And he would bow his head and whisper that. And when I was sitting next to him at church, it always just struck me because in my mind, he was the most worthy. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so, of course, you know, parents are, I think, the first that come to mind. But then as I grew up, and started to, oh, I, I don't want to say practice my faith more because I was always practicing the faith. Sure, but taking but, ownership of it. And yeah, kind of yeah, yeah, exactly. As I grew older and uh, started to meet other women, faith-filled women, in Bible study classes and, and just, you know, through the schools. My kids went to Catholic schools and, uh, and just meeting the other parents. It was tremendous to see the faith in action, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's helpful to see. To, to know those people. And I think for a lot of us who are Notre Dame graduates, we came to know some of them at Notre Dame. So let's hear about how did you come to be a student here <laughs> at Notre Dame? <laughs> you know, that was a lucky fluke. Um, <laughs> one day, I, came, I, I actually was all prepared to go to Duquesne to study pharmacy. I decided I want to be a pharmacy student. Well, Notre Dame, by the way, doesn't have a pharmacy school. <laughs> and, but one day I came downstairs and my dad was watching a football game. It was a Notre Dame football uh-huh, game. Uh-huh. And I sat down next to him, and we just kind of – I didn't care at all about football. I wasn't interested a bit in the game or anything. But he put his arm around me, and so I was not going to move. And so we sat on the couch and watched the game. And Notre Dame – it just kind of came up again. A, a boy I was dating in high school, his twin sisters were at Notre Dame. And um, I started to think about it. And so I applied 
and it turns out it was the only application I ever sent into college. My parents wow. were furious when they found <laughs> out. They were so mad because I had a stack of applications, right? Uh-huh. And I had to keep going to them asking them for another check right, to send in right. the applications. <laughs> and, uh, and after I heard back from Notre Dame, I returned all their checks to them, and my father said, you didn't send these in? Yeah. You know, so I just got lucky. I just got lucky. So. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of divine providence uh, there as well. I'd like to think so. And you mentioned thinking about studying pharmacy, but didn't have that option at Notre Dame. So what did you end up studying here, and where did that lead you career-wise? I ended up studying biology, and I always had the intent of going on to grad school because I really enjoyed my time in the laboratories here Mm -hmm. at Notre Dame with the professors. And so I decided pretty early on that I'd like to go into research. And, of course, that would require a graduate degree in advanced education. And when I finished four years of wonderful time at Notre Dame. I didn't have any money for school. I had a pretty big student loan Uh to pay off. uh So with a degree in biology, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what can I do with this? And I went into medical sales and it was, it was a really great career for a young woman. I mean, a lot of travel, a lot of independence and they gave you a company car. And and so um, I started out selling pharmaceuticals. And then my last part of the career was medical equipment sales. Uh uh And so I had a bigger territory there. Yeah. Sometimes we have to reconcile between our vocation and our career and where those things come together and where those diverge. So was there a time when you were working where you were searching for meaning or found meaning in what you were doing and who God made you to be? That is such a great question. The answer is, I wish I had those thoughts. Mm -hmm. When I was 22, you know, even through my 20s, it never once even occurred to me to ask, what is God's will for my life? Mm -hmm. I was thinking, you know, what can I do to get a paycheck and where should I live and just social things. It was not... It was not about God's will at that time. And so I didn't think about that. Somehow he took care of me mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, and, uh, yeah. and I had a, a wonderful start to a career. When I was married, we had our first child on our, well, we conceived our child on our honeymoon. We had a honeymoon okay. baby. Sure. We decided it was best to stay home because my territory in sales was pretty large. I had okay. about five states, and I was transporting some pretty heavy medical equipment. Uh-huh. And we were fortunate enough to be able to make that decision. So, so I started staying home with the children, and I didn't ever go back to an official job after that, although mm-hmm. lots of other things to keep me busy For those sure. years. Yeah. yeah. So that decision to stay at home, I think— even people in a, in, a, in a modern world where there's a lot of dual-income households, it's still a wrestling that people have of, does one spouse stay home? Do we both work? What, what was that discernment like for you when you decided, I, I'm going to take a step back from what I've been doing and what I've known and enter into this adventure of motherhood? Right. You know, it was a mutual decision. My husband was very successful in his position and, and was able to financially take care of our family. Uh-huh. So it wasn't necessary that I worked. Okay. And he was very supportive of the decision. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Uh-huh. And it was really nice to be able to come home from school and to have her there. And so I was you know, very appreciative of the, of the gift of being able to stay home with the children sure. when they were young. I don't think it was always my intention to stay home as long as I did, but, but at least when they were small children yeah, growing up. Before they into school and off and running with all the activities, but then right. that, then it changes. You're <laughs> helping run them around to those <laughs> things. Can you tell us about some of the challenges but also the joys of being a mom? 
Dan, it's so hard to even put it into words because, you know, every day was a blessing. But again, I wasn't I wasn't starting my day thanking God for that blessing. It wasn't naturally part of my daily routine. I, I knew that I was raising my kids in the faith and making sure they received the sacraments. And, you know, we ended up sending them to Catholic high schools, three of the four at least, mm-hmm. and, you know, mass every week. And, and I, I, I felt like I was raising them to be to be faithful children but i you know in in retrospect i didn't start my day asking god to be part of my motherhood and part of you know being a wife and part of just to be with me during the day it was sure. just something that i would say at night quick prayer of thanks mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. uh, i was one to to do rattle off the our father hail mary glory be right, right. <laughs> well and sometimes when you're in the thick of parenting young children and lots of things going in all different directions. Sometimes that's all you have the time or the energy for. It's only maybe a few years later after you're not part of that chaos that you can right. see, oh, that, that could have helped at times, or you know, maybe I have a little bit more time for introspection now than right. I did then. No, that's right. It's kind of like the, the parable of the sower where you know, some of the seed falls on, on rocky ground and that. And I, I think that, you know, I lived in the midst of all the noise and chaos for a while. And I kind of lived on the edge of the path. I was hearing but not understanding. I was always distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, oh, I'll pray later, you know, when I have more time, when it's more quiet. And so it was really easy for me just to slough off the idea of sanctity because it meant walking the path of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But my own path was much more comfortable. So I tended to get stuck in that rut along the side of the path. I knew the path was there, but I was walking beside it in the rut, and it was easy. So I just kind of stayed in that rut for mm-hmm. a long time. Mm-hmm. Thinking back on that time now, even though your fidelity to God seemed to go up and down a little bit, as it often does for all of us, can you see moments where God remained faithful to you, even in some of the challenges? Oh, yes. God God was so, so good to our family. I don't even know where to start, but I can think <laughs> of so many times. Sure. You know, my daughter had a, a health crisis. Um, this is my oldest, and she required emergency open-heart surgery. Wow. And I just remember not even—I was so concerned with my own fear and my own— just anxiety about it, that I did give it to God. And it wasn't until the doctor came out and said, everything went perfectly, she's fine. And it was at that moment then that I was able to remember to thank God. But f- the whole time leading, you know, leading up to him, it wasn't, I didn't ask for his help. It's, it's just one of those times where he was just there. Mm-hmm. And there's probably been hundreds of other times when God's intervened and just showered us with his grace that I'm not even aware of. I mean, it's just so many, um, you know, so many times, really for the last 30 years, he's just been with us. Mm-hmm. And I don't even, you know, remember calling out to him as much you know, mm-hmm. during those mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. But he was always with us. And, and sometimes um, it's that gift of hindsight. And after we start to have enough years to look back and examine our lives that we can see, where God has been there. It reminds me of that, that footsteps poem, you know, Jesus walking along the beach and there's two sets of footprints and then only one. And, and Jesus says, well, that's when I was carrying you. It's not that he ever leaves us, but is, is with us there. But sometimes it's, it's that time, the, the passage of times that gives, gives us some perspective on that. I love that. It's almost like the, that C.S. Lewis quote. Didn't he say that, you know, God doesn't love us because we're good, but 
God makes us good because he loves us. And mm-hmm. so he loves us first. And I'm so much more aware of it now than I was sure. as, a, as a young mom. And sure. You mentioned that you didn't intend to stay away from work for as long as you did, but it seemed like you filled your days with lots of things in service to others. So what were some of those things that you <laughs> found inspiring? They may sound trite or or simplistic, but they were joyful for me because I was able to be the room mother for all four of my children and in the house where they would come back to after school with their friends. And I did get involved last few years in in St. Louis with a wonderful organization. It was the Meals on Wheels. Sure. And the director was moving to Colorado, and so I was just a driver. And he asked myself and another woman to step up And it was unbelievably gratifying because, you know, when you're just a volunteer in in an organization, you don't even think about an impact that you're making at all because it's so minor what Mm -hmm. you're doing. And it was so humbling to see all of these volunteers show up five days a week and prepare the meals and, and separate them and organize them and then deliver them. And, you know, these were, you know, 60, 70 meals a day in one part of St. Louis. And my co-director and I were just beyond grateful that all these volunteers showed up. And it was just a matter of showing up. You know, they just were there. It was really humbling and, and, and gratifying to see that. And we look back and say, you know, what we did was nothing compared to what we accomplished as a, as a whole group. Just it was really great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And for those who may be unfamiliar, once those meals are packed, where are they delivered? Oh, well, they're delivered to homebound people mm-hmm. who maybe don't have family in town or or just need a, a meal once or twice a week. And they were the best people. One, actually, I, two people come to mind when I think of Meals on Wheels. One's a sad one and one's a funny one. But one gentleman I uh, delivered a meal to, so kind, he asked me to stay and talk to him for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I had a trunk load. I think I had seven more meals to deliver that day. <laughs> and so I just maybe stayed for five minutes, and, and I left. And I thought, well, maybe next time I'll put him last and come back and see him. And he passed away two days later. Wow. So I never got to go back. And I, he's just kind of been in my heart. And then another woman who I just adored was an elderly Jewish woman who always had a joke for me and a piece of candy, like a bite-sized <laughs> Snickers bar or sure. a little something. And she was just wonderful. And it's it's something simple. We, we sort of dismiss it as, well, it's only bringing a meal. But yeah. there's so much in that, in that, that corporal yeah. work of mercy of, of feeding the hungry. But you're also giving company to people who might not get to interact with <laughs> others very often. And that right. just that sense of togetherness and community, yeah. it seems like it was really important to people, especially at that time in their life. It, and it was um, it was one of those things where you always give, get back more than what you give. But you know what? It was almost therapeutic for me, too, because you talked about feeding people. My, my oldest daughter struggles with an eating disorder, mm. and it started when she was just a young girl, 13 years old in middle school. And she's doing great now. Still a little bit of a struggle, sure. but she's, she's um, doing really well. I'm so proud of her. And and so for me to have a child who wouldn't eat mm-hmm. and to be able to feed people who are hungry, it was really therapeutic for me to have that chance to do that. So mm-hmm. I don't want to give the impression that I was doing some really good work because I was really getting a lot out of it, too. Sure. Well, it's so. small things done with great love, right? And, right. And, and what God can do with those things. You mentioned how by yourself 
it might remain a small thing, but all of a sudden this body of people doing this, it became a, a real movement. Oh, I mean, you see it everywhere, lots of big events. You know, it's not one person. It's a bunch of people doing a little bit, and, mm-hmm. and you just see it everywhere. So it's, it's one of those things where it's easy to pitch in a little bit, right? Sure, yeah. sure. You talked about when you were in your early career, maybe not thinking about yourself, thinking about things in terms of your vocation for work, did that change at all during your time as a mother where you thought about, you know, this is part of God's calling for me and my life to to be a mother? I definitely felt called to be a mother even before I was married. So that was always in my heart, really always wanted a family. So I just, looking back, it was just such a blessing. I don't know that my husband and I ever talked about it in terms of, is this God's will? Mm-hmm. And, and that, mm-hmm. but I think... You know, we had the conversations about is it feasible? Is it does it make sense? Is sure. it is it the best thing for our family? Sure. And you know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, Dan. I mean, it could have been if I had gone back to work, maybe I would have been more intellectually engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, kept mm-hmm. my mind sharper. Sure. Maybe I would have been more taking care of myself better because mm-hmm. you want to look a certain way when you go into an office every day and not just be dressed in mom clothes. <laughs> um, so for us, it was a real blessing to be able to stay home. But I know moms who work, who work really hard and, and it is the best thing for their families. So, sure. You know. Yeah. People can obviously come to different conclusions and it still be part of a holy life and a, and a, and a life where we're pursuing all parts of our vocation and, and figuring that out at different times right. because it's, Kids aren't young forever, as we know, sometimes to our sadness. Well, it's taken me till I'm 55 to kind of (laughs) turn to God and say, okay, you you created me for a reason, right? Right, What was that reason, by the way? Uh, And also, you had two daughters come to Notre Dame. And so I'd be interested to hear about your perspective as a Notre Dame parent. What has that been like, having gone to school here, but now seeing (laughs) some of your children come here? Well, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, you hear the alumni say, it's so much harder now, and it's so much more, and the kids are so much more engaged, and there's more social awareness, and oh my gosh, they're just a, an, an amazing group of young people. So so watching my daughters come to school here was really humbling, because I knew that they were among a very elite group of young people who mm-hmm. were going to be a powerful force for good, mm-hmm. as Father Soren mm-hmm. said. And there's such a great aspect of service. My kids are doing things, and I look at them and I think, I didn't teach you to do that. How do you know that? I didn't teach you that. But they they become their own person. Sure. And a lot of growing up happened during those four years on campus. Mm-hmm. And so my daughter, who graduated a few years ago, is in her third year of medical school. And, you know, she has a heart for serving the, the poor sure. and, and that. And my daughter, who's a senior this year, the same. She went on a, a trip with a professor sophomore year to Austria, and it was a refugee immersion. Mm-hmm. And she fell in love with the idea of helping immigrants and refugees. Mm-hmm. And um, the professors have guided her along the way, and, you know, she'd like to go to law school Um, Not so much to be a practicing lawyer, but to learn about policy so she can be an effective advocate. And my other two kids are also doing, you know, wonderful things, too. And and I just think, I think Notre Dame inspires that love of others, looking not just at yourself, Mm -hmm. but at the world around you. And it's something that not all universities teach, you know? It's something pretty special. And 
it seems to me that that's a, a desire that we would have for our children, and we try to instill values in children, but they all have their own free will. As you said, they become their own person, right. and there's no guarantees. Even right. if we do everything right, so to speak, which none of us yeah. do, but even if we do everything right, there's no guarantees with how they'll turn out. So when they do turn out relatively well <laughs> and, and contributing, and not only for their own benefit, but for the benefit of the world. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's really, it's, it's something to be grateful for, isn't it? It definitely yeah. is. And I'll tell you one other thing about Notre Dame. Out of the four kids, um, the two that went to school here are still practicing Catholics. Mm. And the other two have fallen away a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I think I give credit to Notre Dame for, for that. I mean, when they're here on campus, it's, it's just... It's kind of baked into the experience. It is. I mean, you walk into every classroom, there's a crucifix on the wall. You see priests on campus. The dorms all have chapels. Mm -hmm. I went into the laundry, St. Michael's Laundry, the other day, and there's a crucifix in the laundry. You know, it was just, it's just a a very special place. I mean, you can't walk across campus without, you know, seeing Our Lady's gaze Mm -hmm. on, on the students. So it's... It's pretty amazing. So yeah. I think that had a, an impact on, on them. Four years here um, <laughs> it was, was a blessing. Good, good. That's great to hear. And hopefully Faith ND readers, right? No. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Now, I understand you did the Camino de Santiago, which is, well, you can explain a little bit what that is, but it's not something that everybody gets the chance to do. First of all, tell us what that is and, and your decision to come to it, and then any any kind of revelations that you had in participating in such an experience? Sure. Well, first of all, I will say that I hope everyone does get a chance to do it because (laughs) it's the most amazing experience. I had a transformative adventure. So the Camino de Santiago is a 30-day, 500-mile pilgrimage, and you walk from the south of France. The starting point was a little town called uh, Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, and you cross over the Pyrenees Mountains into Spain, and walk across northern Spain to a city by the coast called Santiago de Compostela. And what's special about that is the pilgrimage is to the remains of St. James, Mm -hmm. the Apostle of Jesus. And so the reason I did this, and and it's another one of those funny stories like how, you know, you asked me earlier, how did I decide on Notre Dame? And it was kind of brought into my world. <laughs> it yeah. was it was just brought to my attention. And the same thing happened. I mean, I was packing Meals on Meals on Wheels one day, and a gentleman next to me said, I just saw the best movie last night with you know, Martin Sheen. And he was telling me about it. And then I think I opened up the Catholic newspaper in St. Louis, and um, there's a big article on it there, and another person I mentioned. And so it just kept coming into my thought process. And the children were all grown up. Mm -hmm. They were all away. And I was trying to figure out the next phase of my life. So I thought, that's a perfect thing to do. So I started walking and really, you know, kind of expected an answer from the Holy Spirit by the time I got to Santiago. That was kind of the deal. I'm going to walk for 30 days and and, and pray. And and when I get there, you know, I was looking for the answers. (laughs) But... uh, but there was no billboard saying, Cindy, this is what you should do with your life. Okay. It didn't exist. So it was, well, I'll, I'll go back to that in a second. But, but the, uh, the 30 days, you know, there's nothing like it. There's a, a friend of mine who's walked the Camino, oh gosh, I think six times. Wow. And he's eager to do it again. He described it perfectly by saying, the Camino is the playground of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it really is. You 
put a backpack on your back, and you learn to live simply, and it's enough. Mm -hmm. You have what you need, and along the way, everyone's there to support each other. There's not a negative. I mean, if you can imagine 30 days of, oh, gosh, pure joy and peace. I mean, when do you ever get a chance in our busy world to have an extended period of time to just be present to God mm-hmm. and to just be open to him and to just just to be. I mean, it, I, I walked alone, and it wasn't lonely. It was a, a moment of solitude, but it wasn't loneliness. It was just, you know, get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, tie your shoes, and you just start walking. And there's other pilgrims along the journey, and it's just like nothing else. It's just a remarkable time of, of just peace and feeling like it's just going to be okay. Yeah, that uh, it sounds enviable. <laughs> and <laughs> well, yet there's this funny aspect of it that or or at least ironic aspect that you didn't get all the answers that you were seeking. So there was this this feeling of peace, this sense of peace, but also this sense of wonder even at the end because it's right. not the end of your human pilgrimage, it's the end of that that right. particular pilgrimage. Yeah. So I'd be interested to know your thoughts on what happens when we ask God for answers and we don't get them all yet, or we don't <laughs> get them in completion, and that's sometimes a source of suffering for us? It's a source of suffering, and, and, I, and I admit I, I came back to South Bend feeling disappointed in, in God or in myself for not praying hard enough <laughs> or, or something. But, but I will say, I, despite those feelings, there was also just a, a sense of inner tranquility mm-hmm. that I hadn't had mm-hmm. before the Camino. So mm-hmm. um, so I, I did come home feeling, you know, much like it's just it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit has a funny way of working. I mean, I, I know before I left, I talked to one of the priests, and I said, do you have any advice for me on the Camino? And he said, Cindy, every day look for a surprise. Mm. Look for a surprise. And so I did that, and it was, and every day I found a surprise. Um, <laughs> and so when I got back to South Bend, and I didn't have the answers. I, uh, I think I was opening my laptop one day trying to go see a movie or something. So I opened up my computer. And on the front page of the screen at Notre Dame was join the Inspired Leadership Initiative. Hmm. Had never heard of it. Didn't know what it was. Started reading. I thought, oh, my gosh, this would be amazing. So, um, so the Holy Spirit does answer prayers. Just not always. Like, I was looking for the billboard, right? right yeah. <laughs> that wasn't there. <laughs> but... Um, but very subtly, he, he opened a door for me. Yeah. And, so, um, and so I applied to this brand-new program that Notre Dame started this year. It's called the Inspired Leadership Initiative. Mm-hmm. And it's a chance for people who are retired and kind of finished with their traditional job to pivot to something new in their lives, to find out with the experiences and the resources and the, the passion that we have, how can we still be, and this is still Notre Dame lingo, right? Sure, yeah. how, how to be a force for good, yeah. right? So there are 15 of us on campus this year, this year. Every one of them is just incredible. I just, I love every one of the fellows. And we have had the best year ever. We've had so much fun together, um, going to classes, going to lectures, and, and we've had, you know, the university has brought in different speakers for us. This is kind of a commercial for ILI. Sure. I hope that's okay. Right, <laughs> Anyone yeah. listening, yeah. you guys need to think about this. This is amazing. <laughs> and another, I, I guess this has kind of been my year of pilgrimages, right? So they've actually taken us to Rome, Italy, uh-huh. and tomorrow we're leaving for Jerusalem. Wow. So 
Yeah, so it's kind of about the inner journey and the outer journey is kind of what we've talked about in, in recent weeks, mm -hmm. the, the outer journey being where we've come in our lives. But now we're working on the inner journey, not instead of what are you, mm -hmm. who are you? Mm -hmm. And so... Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's those fellow pilgrims on the way who present us with insights that we couldn't have figured out ourselves. Mm -hmm. Have there yeah. been moments like that as you've interacted with some of these amazing mm -hmm. people? Undoubtedly, yes. Oh, my goodness. Um, they, each one. And, and, and part of the best thing about the program was when the group was just together without outside of the classroom. Yeah. And we would talk. And those are moments when we really we're vulnerable with mm -hmm. each other mm -hmm. and 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 all of us are trying to ask the question what does god want of us we're all we have fewer days ahead of us than we have behind us yeah. and so there is a recognition of mortality uh -huh. with our group mm -hmm. and so we want those we 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 want the time that we have left to be meaningful and purposeful sure yeah and you mentioned that at earlier times in your life, it was a bit of a life unexamined, at yeah. least at the time. Right. And now it seems like you're doing some very intense examination to, one, understand some of that time that has, that has come before, but also to discern direction for what's next. So right. what has that process been like? You know, it, it's been amazing and comforting. I don't know um, if that's if comforting is the right word, but... To wake up in the morning and to start it with faith and D, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll give you a little plug because that's how I start my mornings. Um, and it's a, you know, it's it's just a nice time to just um, I, I read you and I read Bishop Barron's reflection sure. on the gospel, sure. and and to start that and and then to go through the day with people who are guiding you with their example, but also guiding you with a purposeful plan for their lives. You know, I mean, it makes you, it, it forces you to think about why am I here? What God didn't just make us and throw us onto the earth and say, okay, you do what you want. I mean, mm -hmm. he's still with us and, right. and he made us for a reason. And so, and so you know, I've been thinking a lot about how, how I've neglected to think about God's will. And well, and we've gone back and forth with talking about what are the big decisions that we make? What are the big vocations that we have as opposed to the small daily decisions? And as you know, one of the themes of this podcast is this pursuit of holiness. And sometimes it feels like, you know, we have our saint of the day profiles in faith right. and faith and you, and you yeah. read about just mostly all the big moments in, in these saints' lives, but you don't necessarily have the time or it wouldn't all be all that interesting to read about those daily decisions that people make. So as you have been a part of this year with ILI and had the occasion to get up each morning and examine your life and pray to God in a special way, have you felt yourself growing in holiness and becoming at least more in touch with what what you want that to look like? I have. It, it's really... It's really something special, and, and I've kind of tried to immerse myself in it the way that, you know, the Notre Dame students are immersed in it sure. on campus. And so I'm learning more about my faith, things that, as a cradle Catholic, I just thought I knew what Catholicism was. Sure, and, sure. Uh, and just scratching the surface. Just right? scratching the surface, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And so I've, I've, you know, 
really grown in my faith for the past couple of years. And I, in fact, um, Mother Angelica with EW10 has a, a little quote about holiness. She says, to be changed is conversion, but to be transformed is holiness. Hmm. And I think, you know, myself and, and all the fellows I know in the program, too, we're all looking for transformation. Yeah. And I've seen it in my own life, and it's made all the difference, yeah. you know. Well, and what's amazing to me is that you're all very successful people, quote unquote, <laughs> in in the eyes of those you know who admitted you to the program and all that. But even with some of these amazing successful people, there's still this innate desire to continue to discover, to discern, sure. to define what God has planned for us. Oh, sure. And you know, I, I don't count myself in their successful company. They, and we're talking doctors and lawyers and CEOs and, I don't know, uh, entrepreneurs. Mama, mama and four <laughs> kids, yeah. Well, no, but, but, um, but I've learned a lot from them. And, and, uh, and they're just very humble and very gracious people who really, really want to help and to do something, not, not just fritter away the years traveling or you know watching television or whatever sure. you do in your, sure, <laughs> in your sure, after retirement sure. so yeah yeah but use that time purposefully and purposefully be fruitful in that right as you think back on your life to this point and the, and the people that you've known who are some of the people or at least the the, the principles of holiness that you want to carry forward I, I was reminded as you were talking about you talked about your dad and you know, his prayer there at Mass and thinking like, wow, even my dad <laughs> seems like a really holy person, and yet he realizes his unworthiness. So have there been other people or examples along the way that have been models to you as you as you think about your life going forward now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even, you know, when we were raising our children, there was a, a couple in our parish, and they were fairly quiet, but, you know, very faith-filled. And the woman had a license plate, and it said, U-O-M-O-G. And I remember asking one time, because it was an unusual license plate. Sure. It didn't have the numbers in it and stuff. Right. And, uh, and she said that it meant it's a reminder for her that everyone she meets is a unique, one-of-a-kind miracle of God. Hmm. And so, you know, she saw every, every human being, every, every single person in the image and likeness of God and she treated everyone that way. And yeah. her husband was the CEO of a major multinational corporation. And he had crucifixes and, and Jesus pictures in his in his office. Mm. They didn't speak loudly about their faith, uh-huh. but it, they weren't ashamed of it, I they guess is what it. I want to say. Yeah. They, they, they lived it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But they also, you know, they weren't ashamed to say that they were Catholic and that Jesus was part of their lives. You know, sure. it, was, it, was, it was pretty wonderful. And, you know, and I had women who in, in the Bible study group were not afraid to share their faith and to dig deeper than I'd ever, you know, I, I'd go to Mass and I'd hear the readings and I'd hear the homily. I'm like, okay, I get that. But there's always, you know, so much more when you really go deeper into the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was a wonderful experience to share that with friends. And, you know, when times were tough, I'd take a walk with a neighbor, and if I were feeling bad about someone, she would immediately say, bless him. Just, you know, whenever you want to curse a person, just bless him. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. little lessons, things that I can do, you know, yeah. things that I just remember and, and that they do. And, you know, she introduced me to adoration. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, like I said, I'm 55 years old, didn't go to, it just wasn't part of my upbringing that we would go to adoration. Sure, sure. And now it's a really wonderful thing to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
and and you've had this wonderful, dare I say, transformative experience this <laughs> year in ILI. What do you think might be next for you as you as you come to the close of that year? Oh, well, you know, I was supposed to have the answers by now, right? It's May. <laughs> all the kids are graduating. They know what we're doing. I, I think they get four years. We only had one year. Right, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Time is of the essence. Uh, yes, yes. You know, I, I don't have it all figured out. Sure. Um, but I don't feel the anxiety hmm. anymore about needing to figure it out. Yep. I've been introduced to so many programs. And, and even in South Bend, there's a million ways, you know, you can help and volunteer. But, you know, Dan, I really want to do something that I that I feel strongly about. Mm-hmm. And I do miss the children. Mm-hmm. And so part of part of the uh, one thing that's, that was brought to my attention was there's um, an orphanage in Honduras that mm-hmm. Notre Dame sponsors. You may have heard of it. It's Finca del Nino, sure, Farm of yeah, the Child. Yeah, absolutely. So um, considering uh, volunteering with them for a few years. And so I, I'm still a work in progress. Yeah. <laughs> but... But, you know, even, you know, my daughter's an inspiration for this, too. You asked about, you know, holy people, and I should be talking about my kids and things. But I remember last having lunch with my daughter last week, and she said, oh, I went out with so-and-so. And I said, well, I thought that you guys had a falling out freshman year or something because of some way she behaved. She goes, Mom, people change. She's not the same person she was a couple years ago. Mm. And I thought, what a beautiful, mature thing that she was able to not hold a grudge. It's nice the way that the Holy Spirit <laughs> introduces those lessons to us from, from a variety of sources. And though it seems, or we've talked about throughout this podcast of maybe some times in your life when you maybe haven't been as attentive to those lessons of the Holy Spirit or the people that are there, it's clear that you are now. And I think that'll be inspiring to people who maybe realize that they haven't had a chance or maybe been too busy to see where God is moving in their life, and yet an example like yours is is one that shows us that there's there's time to do that. So, Cindy, I just want to thank you for being a part of this podcast. It's been an honor to talk to you, and you will be in our Family of Faith's prayers as you truly discern what God has planned for you next. Thank you, Dan. God bless you. God bless you. That concludes this episode of Everyday Holiness. We hope you enjoyed the content today and want to have you with us each time. For those of you who do not yet subscribe to our Daily Gospel Reflection, as we talked about in the podcast, you're welcome to go to faith.nd.edu slash sign up. There you'll hear about future episodes of this podcast and will also receive our Daily Gospel Reflections. Until then, we wish you all the best and you'll be in our prayers. Mm-hmm.